Good morning, Cornerstone. Check, 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 you check. You are Hello. welcome to continue in fellowship. I'll be working now. Everybody, don't make me start calling out names, people. I will get my teacher face on. All right, we're going to try one more time. Are we, am I on? Yeah. All right, good morning, Cornerstone. All right. We're going to start off with a little uh, Romans. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Okay, this morning, we are doing something a little special. We are actually going to be praying for our country, for our election, for our president, for our local 
and national political and church leaders, our law enforcement, and God's freedom over all things COVID. Okay, so so the biggest thing, our biggest tackle, our biggest takeaway, and what we need to remember in this election season is that Christ is risen from the dead. King Jesus is on the throne. King Jesus created each one of us specifically for such a time as this. And King Jesus alone is the one writing our story, not whoever gets to live in the White House. Okay? So everybody's got a sheet of paper. I'm basically just going through some points. Uh, so where we are right now, if you read, so you have homework to go home to today. The sheet of paper will tell you what it is. I'm saying it, but you'll be able to read it there too. But in Romans 1, 17 through 32, if you read that, it's going to sound a lot like the Democratic Party platform. It includes abortion. It includes LGBT. It includes transgender bathrooms. It includes fighting against religious liberty. Bad ideas have victims. Okay, so where our heart needs to be, more homework, is Romans 2, 1 through 9. We are not the judge. We are to pray for those that persecute us. Our fight is not against people. Our fight in Ephesians 6 is against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness in this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. Okay? Our response, no matter who wins this election, we must stand like Stephen, proclaiming Christ in love and to the death. So you're going to read Romans or Acts 6, 8 through 760 for that for homework. So Chloe, Chloe's going to come up right now, and she's going to prepare our hearts as we learn how to stand and fight in this battle. And, and today, as we are going through our time of prayer, here are some of the things that we need to know. This is how we stand and how we fight. We're going to be praying through the slide. I think there's a prayer slide uh, of things we can pray for. There's a 24-hour prayer chain that we've started. You can go onto the church website to learn about it. Through the election period, we have people praying 24 hours. Uh, we have fasting and prayer starting this Monday, and that's going to go the Mondays to the election to fast and pray for our election and our nation and peace. We have a prayer and praise night on October 31st, again, on the church website. We have to educate ourselves and others about this political process, okay? When we choose not to vote, that is a vote. We need to learn how to vote biblically. So if we know enough and one side is completely against the Bible, then we need to make that choice. We need to love others that disagree with us into the kingdom. And literally, we need to be the hands and feet of Jesus to our enemies and those that persecute us. And you also have on your table a pamphlet that will show you a little bit about each party 
that you can choose to vote for this election. Vote local as well, because we have found those choices matter a lot. So here's Chloe, and then she's going to take us into prayer. So I'll, I'll start prayer after she prepares our hearts. Will you fight? No, we'll run and we'll live. I fight and you may die. Run, you'll live for at least a while. Until one day, when you're laying on your bed, die, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for a chance, just one chance to tell our enemies they may take away our lives, but they'll never take our freedom! And my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Father God, our freedom is found in you alone. So thank you, Jesus, for helping us know who we are. Help us to share it with those that don't know you. Help us to love in strong ways, Lord, that uh, will allow others to see you in us and allow us to stand and fight in love and truth. Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, we come before you uh, grateful, grateful for what you've done in our hearts, that you have caused dead bones to come alive. You've made stone, or stony hearts to become flesh, and you've allowed us to taste the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ alone. And only because of that are you making us more and more into the image of Christ. And we pray that you continue to do that and continue to grant us repentance daily. And we see the evil that's in the world and in our own country and the absolute polar opposites that there are. And Lord, we can't blame them because they can, those that oppose you are still children of wrath just like we were until you intervened. And our only hope is that you intervene, Lord. Our only hope is that you would change those hearts of stone into hearts of flesh, open up their eyes that they may see, take away their blindness so that they can understand the truth that is in your word and it would not fall on rocky ground and 
and among the path, but your word would fall on good soil and that it would sprout and produce good fruit. And in that, I pray that our nation would turn, that the unborn would be saved, that how you created us male and female would be preserved and glorified. All this for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. In um, light of my brother Adam's um, prayer, I'm just going to read 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, which is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, light shall shine out of the darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we are these treasures of in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power of the will of God and not ourselves may be seen. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be made manifest in our body. And so, Lord, I do pray uh, with my brothers and sisters that the gospel light that has changed our hearts would go out from us, each of us individually and collectively as a corporate witness, or that, that the gospel would reign true in conversations that we have with neighbors and in things we post on social media and in interactions with people across the counter at um, stores that we're in and in how we vote. Lord, let your gospel light shine. The, the darkness um, gives greater opportunity for the light to shine brighter. Lord, I pray, um, as Carrie and I prayed, even coming over here, that, that you would put your hedge of protection around your people, um, not, not to keep us safe, but to keep us from dimming. Lord, we need to be bright. We need to be a shining city on a hill. Let not your gospel truth be hidden in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord Jesus, we pray for the mind of Christ. We pray for lenses over our eyes that reflect your truth and your word, that we might look at the world through your eyes. That if we have any stumbling with what is right and what is wrong, that we would turn back to your word, Father, that you've made evident through Jesus. 
We pray that you be guiding us, not letting us fall away in our folly, and that we wouldn't look at the world through our preconceived notions, that we wouldn't look at it through our own ideas and our own desires, but rather, I pray that we can die to that, that we can die unto ourselves and live in your life and your word and your truth in every decision that we make. Father, I pray over this nation. I pray that we would be repentant and turning back to your word and your name and your glory for you are worthy of it, Father. But because we know that we are sinful and that we fall short, Father, I pray that you deliver us from ourselves and our and our own actions that are against you, Father, and that you'd have compassion on us. Father, I, I pray that uh, anything that is, that is said or done throughout these next few weeks, that it is done out of love. That we do not become so haughty in spirit or in, in status that, that we believe that we are now the condemners or, or judges uh, of others standing with you. For that is your place alone. But rather that we could become humble bond servants in your house. That we would be slaves to the righteousness that is Jesus Christ submitting to all your ways and all your glory, Father, that we could only come to serve you, glorify your name, and to love our brothers and sisters saved and yet to. So, Father, we pray that, that you would be at the forefront of all of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Dear Lord, I pray for the election this year that um, that people would see through the evil and not not think that that's okay. I pray that um, that people would know what is right and um, not be deceived by the enemy. In Jesus' name, Amen. So I had a conversation with Brian before church started about foundational things. And as we talk about the election, we don't want to lose track of the fact that our politics, our, our nation, kingdoms, they're like water in the hands of the king. That there's nothing going on that hasn't gone on before and that our focus as a church and as a people for Christ needs to be on Christ. I'm going to read to you from Hebrews 10, verse 32 begins, But remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing 
that you have for yourselves a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. That's our truth. And my prayer is that we would be a people that would see beyond the politics and we would be prepared not for the result of an election or for an issue or for a person, but we would be prepared to have our hearts molded and refined and shaped by Jesus Christ and by the God of the universe that nothing is outside of his will. Nothing is outside of the will of God. It's not that God didn't know this was gonna happen. It's not that these things are a surprise to God. It's certainly not that God can't stop or create any system, person, place, or thing at any time, and he's shown it, look around. Every single person and thing is because of the love and grace of Jesus Christ who came down to be here with us. That should be our constant foundation. Our foundation lives in the love of Jesus Christ. So I'm gonna to pray to that. Father God, as you chose in love to give your son, Jesus, to your creation, it, it blows my mind until you set our hearts on your path. And then you promise us in your word that as we have endurance, as we walk that narrow path, Lord, we're gonna see sufferings, we're gonna see these things, and we are not to let our gaze shift from right or left, but we set our gaze on the prize of the upward call of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And Father, for the people that yet have yet to know you about that, I pray that our light, because of our foundational beliefs, that we stand here today and with the churches that believe in Jesus Christ, that that light shines out and people wonder how they should act in a situation or for whom to vote. And they see this peace. You say you vote because you're going to serve Jesus. And we, we walk because we're going to serve Jesus. And it blows their minds. And then we get to walk with people as we take them to the foot of the cross. So Father, give us an opportunity even today, even today in this church to be a people that would walk worthy with one another and for a nation and a country and, and a world that needs more Jesus. Amen. So if you're under uh, 25 right now, let's uh, stretch a little bit. Just go ahead and stand up and find someone over 25 and go pray for them. Ask them how you can pray for them in this season.
Okay, we don't want the kids to have all the fun. So if you're over 25, now you get to stand up and go uh, find someone that is uh, a youngster to you and ask them how you can cover them in Jesus in this moment in time. So funny. I love the sound of the praying of the saints. So thank you, Jesus, as we uh, continue into uh, your next thing. That uh, Thank you for just being available and listening to us as we beg you to turn our nation into a Nineveh-like repentance. And as we beg you to protect the law enforcement. And as we beg you to just turn our lives around and allow us to be your useful tool in this season. We love you, Jesus, and we're excited. Amen.
just want to encourage all of you guys to remember this microphone is still up here for you. So if you still feel led to pray or read any scripture over us, we'd love to, we'd love to hear that. Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee, all the follies of sin, I resign. My grace. Redeemer, my Savior, art thou? If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis Good morning, everyone. 
it is sure nice to see all of your smiling faces here. I see no one is worried about tomorrow, correct? Would you please stand and open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2. I am going to read the first 10 verses of this chapter. 2 Timothy is in the New Testament toward the right, toward the end of the Bible. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. For which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not changed, chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may too obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for today. We are so thankful for all of the blessings that you have given to us. The many, many blessings, but also, Father, we are thankful for the trials that you bring us because we know as we persevere through those trials that we become stronger that we become mightier, that we become an awesome force in this world for good because of you. So we are grateful for that. Father, we pray for our nation. We pray for our world. Lord, I pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I pray for the peace in this country, that you would extend your hand on this people, not for our glory or anything else, but for your glory, Father that we can point to you and say, look what you have done. Be grateful. I have heard it said that we are standing on the edge of the abyss this year. And so, Father, I pray that you would open our eyes, open our ears, and prevent us from going over that abyss. Lord, we have many needs, I know. We have many needs in this body. We have many needs of people around the world, but we have many needs here, people that need healing in their bodies, that people that need salvation. We have friends I know that don't know you. So Father, I pray that you would give us a brighter light and maybe even a little bit saltier if we need to be um, to proclaim your word to them. Give us boldness, give us whatever it takes, Lord. We know that we are not in control of this, that you are. Father, I pray that you'd give us all the ability to be able to rest in you, to watch and to pray. 
Father, I do pray for this upcoming election. I pray for the many things that are happening in this in this country right now. I pray for the Supreme Court as this there is a decision coming up that could affect religious freedom in this country. So, Father, I pray that you would give the justices wisdom. Father, I also pray that you would just inhabit the leaders of this country. Transform them. Teach them. Show them that you are God and that you are ultimately in control of all of this. We are grateful for your love in it, love through us. We are grateful for how you have spread your gospel through us and through this country. May it continue to be that way. But also remind us, Lord, we're not home yet. <laughs> but we all will soon be, and there we'll be spending eternity with you. So we are grateful for that, and we love you and praise your name. And we want to give you the glory and the praise. And everyone said, Amen.
forget if the light needs to be on or off. <laughs> Joshua 1, 6 through 9. Be strong and courageous, for you will distribute the land I swore to their fathers to give them as an inheritance. Above all, be strong and very courageous to carefully observe the whole instruction my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left so that you will have success wherever you go. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to recite it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. Haven't I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And as the Lord laid this scripture on my heart this morning, um, I was just, it hit me that it says, above all, be strong and very courageous to carefully observe the whole instruction my servant Moses commanded you. It takes courage to obey what God has outlined for us to do. Christianity is not for wimps. Um, 
And it occurred to me just as we were singing um, the song, Do What You Want To, that, and when we love to see you move, we do, but he can only move when we are surrendered to him. something that God's been teaching me personally, um, just as all our minds are kind of turned to the election and um, our hearts are for our nation to turn back to him, is a journey of personal repentance. And the amazing thing is, as I have personally repented and as God has been showing things in my life that I need to get rid of, that I need to clean house, um, things that I didn't even realize before, that that is touching others. And that wasn't my intent. Um, it was a completely personal repentance journey, but I'm seeing it flow over into my work life with my students and with my coworkers. I'm seeing it flow over into um, my interactions with you guys, my church family. I'm seeing it overflow into my relationship with my husband and just things God is doing there. And so I guess just, I had no idea what I was supposed to say when I got up here. I just knew that verse was, God was laying on my heart and I just want to encourage you all to be strong and courageous in following the ways of God. Burning gladly bearing 
Father, I just uh, I would pray right now with my brothers and sisters that that would be our soul song, not just for the rest of this morning or even the rest of this week, but every day of our lives until you take us home or you come again to restore all things. May our souls never stop speaking and singing of your goodness and your greatness. In a world that wants to tell us that you don't even exist. May our very lives prove your existence because we're living in the power of your Spirit. And so now, Lord, we ask for that Spirit power to take your powerful Word and apply it to our hearts. That the meditations of our hearts and our minds would be pleasing to you in these next few moments. And that we would walk out of here looking and smelling and shining far more like Jesus Christ. For the fame and the glory of his name we gather. And all God's people said, 
Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of the word. Hang on. This letter is from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. It is written to the church in Thessalonica, you who belong to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. May his, peace and pe may his grace and peace be yours. We always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly. As we talk to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and your continual anticipation of the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know that God loves you, dear brothers and sisters, and that he chose you to be his own people. For when he brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. And you know that the way we lived among you was further proof in the truth of our message. So you received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. In this way, you imitated both us and the Lord. As a result, you yourselves became an example to all the Christians in Greece. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Greece. For wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. We don't need to tell them about it, for they themselves keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the true and living God. And they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. He is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. Amen. You may be seated. Wow, can that girl read or what? That's amazing. As you're being seated, you're going to need the Word of God in your hand um, this morning. And so if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We have some people ready to give you one. Um, so just put your hand up and keep it up until somebody puts a Bible in it. Uh, we would love for you to take it with you if you need one to keep. But have you ever wondered how we got our Bible? And, and I'm not talking about the study, like how we actually got the, um, the, the Bible, the full Bible that you're holding right now, the canon of Scripture, although that's a great study. I'm talking specifically about, like, how did we get these letters that are in the Bible? Letters like the one we're going to be in, we're starting in today, and um, th the first Thessalonians, or how, what about Corinthians, and what about this Philippians, and Galatians, and Colossians, and like, where did those come from, and why were they written? Well, before we jump into first Thessalonians, I want to take us through like a, a short, hopefully, but really important, like historical journey with Paul, because it'll help us understand not only where first Thessalonians came from, but why it was written. So open up your Bibles, not to 1 Thessalonians, but open up your Bibles to the book of Acts, to the book of Acts. It's, it's in your New Testament. It's after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. It's a fairly big book. We're going to be in Acts chapter 15 to start, and we're going to peruse several chapters. I'm not exactly sure how this is going to work, um, but that's okay. The Holy Spirit does. And so we're going to start in, in um, chapter 15, but I'm going to back up a step and, and let you know how how it all really started in chapter 13. And by it, I mean, how did the gospel go forward to the nations? Because here's what started to happen. God's people, as often happens among God's people, is they were starting to huddle up a little bit. They were staying, they, they felt like they were protected in Jerusalem. They had, they, they had very little outreach going on, even though Jesus had said, go and make God, uh, disciples of all the nations. And so God starts persecuting his, he starts persecution happening in Jerusalem to drive his people out. Well, in the meantime, we don't have time for all this. Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus, right? He was the one, he was one of those people who was persecuting those Christians, meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, has his life supernaturally changed, 
gets discipled by Christ for several years before he's ready to come back with a little gentler approach and start spreading the gospel. And in Acts chapter 13, it says that the Holy Spirit comes to, to God's people and they say in Acts 13, choose for, I've set apart from you Barnabas and Paul to go. And they go on this missionary journey and they go to places, what, are, what is now modern day Turkey what is like Asia Minor. And they go to Galatia and, and they set up churches there. And then we're going to pick it up in chapter 15, starting in verse 36. So Paul and Barnabas have gone on one short journey. Now they're back. And look at, look at what happened in, 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 um, in verse 36 of chapter 15. It says this, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord. So do you see what he's saying? He's saying, hey, Barney, we went on this trip and we set up some churches and there's some brothers and sisters in Christ there that could probably use our encouragement. Let's go back and visit them. And, pa and Barnabas is like, okay, let's take Mark. Mark is the guy that wrote the gospel of Mark. Here's the problem. Mark on that journey just couldn't hang because it's a hard walk. And I don't mean physically, I mean spiritually. So he runs and he goes home. And Paul just couldn't deal with that. He wasn't quite gentle enough just yet. So, so Barnabas, who's the encourager, the son of encouragement, he's like, hey, let's take Mark with us. And Paul's like, hey, no way. He bailed on us last time. So they have this disagreement, which again is orchestrated by the Holy Spirit so that now Barnabas goes one direction and Paul goes the other. Barnabas takes Mark. Paul takes a man named Silas. That's going to become important when we finally get to 1 Thessalonians here in a few minutes. Paul takes Silas with him, and that's where it kind of ends there in chapter 15. So Paul and Silas, in verse 40, left being committed to the brethren of the grace of the Lord, and they're going to travel. Their plan is to go back along the same route in what is Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, in the same, to, to go visit those churches. Now we're going to pick it up in, verse, in chapter 16, verse 6. They passed through the area of Phrygia and Galatia, so the, the area they wanted to go to, but they were the reason they couldn't, they couldn't get in there, because it says the Holy Spirit forgid, forbid them to speak the word in Asia. In verse 7, it says, the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. Here's one of those things I would love to know how. Like, as we're sitting here talking about seeking the Spirit, and what's this, how's the Spirit leading us? And here's this example. The Spirit doesn't, they want to go right. So in your case, they want to go right. They want to go east, into Asia. And the Holy Spirit says, uh-uh. I, we have a, we have a, we've been talking up there, and we've got a different plan, Paul. I would love to know how he knew that. Because we sit here going, I want to seek the Lord's guidance, and sometimes it feels like we're, we're, we're getting friction, and we don't know if that's the enemy. We don't know if that's the Lord. We don't know. So it's just one of those things. But here's why God doesn't reveal it. Because if it said, and here's how the Holy Spirit told him that, that's the only way we would look for the Holy Spirit to work in that moment. And the Holy Spirit is like a, is like a crazy chef. He's always throwing stuff at us and putting the, and, and, and making the stew ever more tasteful, right? So he doesn't tell us exactly how it happens, but here's, but here's what happens next. Look at verse 9. A vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man from Macedonia. Macedonia is, for you guys, is left. It, they wanted to go right. They wanted to make a right turn into Asia. He's saying, the Holy Spirit is saying through this vision, no, you're going to go left. You're going to hang a left and go into what is now modern-day Europe. Guys, this is the moment 
Right here, we just read it. I get goosebumps just thinking about it. I, I, I'm, and I'm probably going to confuse you even more as we go through this flash, this, this in Acts. But like, this is the moment that God chose to send the gospel to Europe. We wouldn't be sitting here today had this moment not happened over 2,000 years ago. If Paul had gone right, the gospel would have gone forward, and the Chinese probably would have been all over the gospel. But God, in his sovereignty, chose to move the gospel west to Europe, which eventually brings the gospel to our country, which eventually is used by God to do more gospel good in the world than any nation that has ever existed. And we've only been around a couple hundred years, which is not very long in God's economy. Now we're going to pick it up in verse 14. They hang a left, they go to Europe, and a woman named Lydia from the area of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, which just means she was a Jew, was listening and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken of by Paul. This is the first European person who's ever converted by the gospel. It's Lydia. Here's what happens, though, and I'm gonna, this is where I'm going to get really confused and confusing, probably. So what happens is they're proclaiming the gospel. People don't like, the, the Jewish people don't like the fact that they're proclaiming the gospel. They start stirring up trouble for Paul and Silas. They end up, if you look at verse 22, the crowd rose up against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off of them. These are all the, the, the highfalutin Jewish people that were there in Europe. And they proceeded to order them to be. Now get, here's the life of a disciple of Christ. This is what we've signed up for. He, they proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods, as if that's not enough, verse 23, thrown into prison, as if that's not enough, thrown into the inner prison, that actually means the dungeon, so the jail wasn't enough darkness for Paul and Silas. We want them down in the pit, and oh, by the way, how about if we lock their feet to the floor, just in case they don't realize just how mad we are at them. But look at verse 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas are whining and complaining and cursing God. Why did you send us this way? We wanted to go right. Paul and Silas are pray, praying and singing hymns of praise to God. Because there's a sermon right there, especially for the moment we're in as a nation. Can we, no matter what happens a week from Tuesday, sing hymns and praises to God? Because we ain't getting beaten, we're not thrown in prison, and our feet are not ain't shackled to a floor. And if they can do all, if they can get all that and still do this, so can we. Same spirit. These were not supermen. Paul and Silas were just dudes. In fact, if you read about Paul, he wasn't much of a dude. He was a little dude with funky eyes. And yet, by the power of the Spirit in him, next to Jesus, he did more to take the gospel to the world than any human being who has ever lived. And we're witnessing it right now. So let's pick it up in verse 30. And after they brought, so, so oh, I forgot. So they're praying, they're singing, this angel comes, opens it up. The jailer's all, and I'm really fast forwarding, the jailer's all worried because now I'm going to get killed because I let these prisoners go. He's like, no, we're right here. Don't kill yourself because um, the, 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 the Lord has saved us. And then it says this in verse 30. So then the jailer's like, man, I don't know what just happened, but what do I need to do get, to get into that program? So this is the Troyer translation at this point. What do I need to do to get into this program? Because I heard you guys singing. Now all of a sudden you're just, like, you're gone. What happened? The Holy Spirit. I want this Holy Spirit. 
So look at verse 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And he took them, verse 33, that very hour and that night and they washed their wounds and immediately he was baptized, he and his whole household. So they locked, they locked Paul up to stop the gospel from going forward and not only is the jailer converted, but so is his whole family. Right? That's what made Paul so impossible to deal with. Because he's like, what are you going to do to me? You're going to lock me up? I don't care, I'll convert your jailer. And oh, by the way, the Holy Spirit's going to let me out and I'll go to his house. I'm going to share the gospel with them and they're all going to become Christians. Why? Because it's not about Paul. And he, Paul knew that. He's like, the gospel's going forward. God's story is not going to stop at Acts chapter 7 when Peter gets stoned. He's like, no, it's going to keep going. Look at, look at chapter 17. So, here's, so, so finally they're going to get to Thessalonica, which is why we're on this journey with them. Because we're going to be, if you didn't know yet, we're starting a series today in, in 1 Thessalonians. They finally are going to get to the town called Thessalonica, which is where we get the name Thessalonians. They're the people from Thessalonica. And it says this, now when they had traveled through the Amphipolis, sorry, in Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where, they were, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, so whenever he would go to a new place, he'd go find the people who knew something about the scriptures because he knew that these scriptures, the, not the Bible, just the Old Testament, he knew they testified to Christ. So he's like, I'm going to go to where the people know some of this word that's about Jesus that they don't even know is about Jesus so that I can tell them about Jesus. So he goes into the synagogue for three Sabbaths. So he's only there for three weeks. In the, in, so remember that. when we, We're going to get there in just a minute, I promise. When we get to Thessalonia, or the, the first Thessalonians, he's only there three weeks. That's, a, not, that's not very long to see people converted, raised up, and have a church get started before you leave. But the Holy Spirit can do anything. So he's explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. I'm in verse 3. This Jesus, whom I am proclaiming to you, is the Christ. Now pick it up in verse 8. So the, again, the crowds are upset. The, the, the Jewish people, the business people of the day, did not like the gospel going forward because they were making money off of people either worshiping Yahweh their way or by worshiping false gods. And here comes Paul saying, you don't, and we'll get there, you don't need any of that other stuff. You need the Holy Spirit of the living God to reveal to you through the word of God that Christ is the son of God and you can worship. And man, the people that were, they're losing money now. Because everybody that said, I'm a Christian is no longer buying their beads and statues and everything else. Not dropping money into their offering plate anymore. And so they're a little upset. So look at verse 8. They stirred up a crowd in the city, and the authorities heard these things. So here we go again. And after they'd received a pledge from Jason and the others, they were released. So they, so they released them, and, and, and Paul and Silas slip away. So in verse 10, the brethren immediately send Paul and Silas away that night to Berea. So Berea is where we get this idea of the, of the Bereans. There used to be a Bible, like a, um, a Christian bookstore called Berean Christian Bookstore. Why? Because it talks about how the Bereans would examine the scriptures daily to see if what Paul was saying was true. So they're in Berea for a little while. Then they, um, then they move on. It's, but because, and the reason they move on is because the Thessalonians, again, the, the people in the place we're going to look at in a few minutes, and there's a, there's a point to this, so hang in there with me. I promise this is not just a history lesson. This is so important for what's going on in our country right now. Guys, 
the people that were in Thessalonica that were, that, that, were, that were causing trouble for Paul and Silas now follow them. They, they are so disgruntled with Paul and Silas, they're actually following them, trying to create problems. So it says here, it says in verse 13, when the Jews of Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul and Berea, they came there as well. Man, they're, they're like, they won't, they won't leave this poor brother alone. And all, and, and all he's trying to do is share Jesus with people. Has it ever been easy to share Jesus with people? We have got to get over this idea that hostility towards the gospel is somehow God telling us to back up and back off. Hostility towards the gospel is always God telling us to press in and press on. Always. And here he is seeing it happening. So then what they do is they leave Silas and Timothy in Berea. They send Paul on to Athens. Athens, big city, Greece, right? Because these are all... Hang on, let me just finish this up, and then we'll get to Thessalonica, Thessalonica in just a second. Look at verse 22. Paul gets to Athens, which is like just full of pagan, wor- I mean, this is where the idols, this is where the temples of Zeus and Diana, and I mean, this was like big idol worship. And he's walking around going, man, you people have a lot of gods here. And he, and he has this great sermon we don't have time to share right now, but he says, so in verse 22 of chapter 17, I think I'm in, it says, so Paul stood in the midst of the, our, our Areopagus and said, men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all your respects. For while I was passing through and examining your objects of worship, your idols, I also found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship with ignorance, I proclaim to you. So he's using their paganism. Guys, America, do we have some idols? Now, some people actually have them hanging on their wall or sitting on their table. A, a, a picture of a crucifix on their wall or a Buddha statue sitting on a, on a table or, or a Kachina doll or whatever it is. Those are all idols. But guys, we all have idols without having idols. They're called a good family, a, a financial security. They're called having a strong marriage. They're called, like even good things can become bad things when they get in the way of God's thing. And if, and if you're so caught up in having a strong family, a strong marriage, financial security, that you're not living for the gospel, the thing you're, that's holding you back is an idol. And what Paul is telling you today is, hey, that thing that you're pursuing is not going to fulfill you, but let me tell you what the power is. The power, oh, by the way, is in Jesus Christ. And so he goes on to talk about the Lord, the God that made the heavens and the earth. And he goes through this and he shares this great sermon. And many people are converted. But guess what? Many other people are mad because now the people aren't buying their little trinkets. So off he goes again. And after he, these things, this is where we're going to finish up. In verse 18, or chapter 18, verse 1. And after all of this, he, goes to, he leaves Athens and he goes to Corinth. And if you think for a minute that he found peace in Corinth then you've never read 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Because you want to talk about a messed up bunch of people. It was the church at Corinth. And we've taught through both of those letters before. So that brings us back to where we are today. Why share all of that? Like, why take the time to share all that? Because, guys, it's so important that we understand that, that how we got these letters is because real men, inspired by the Holy Spirit, went to real places and wrote and, and, and were inspired to write the real word of God. 
Like, this is not theory. This is not fiction. These are all historical places. You can go on, well, you could, before COVID, you could go on tours and see the places Paul visited. You can see the prison they locked him up in. This is not fictional. It is not, just because it's not in our history books anymore doesn't make it not historic. It is historical. Not just, it is, you can, you can prove everything I just said completely outside of the Bible as far as the journey Paul was on. It's important that we get that. It's also important that we understand, and this is really why I wanted to take the time, guys, has being on mission for Christ ever been easy? Ever? No. We just spent six weeks in Jonah, the reluctant disciple, right? Was his, it was not, now a lot of it was self-inflicted, we learned that. But following, being a prophet of God was not an easy call for him. We just went up the mountain last week, for those of you that were at retreat, and we, and we talked about how, how Christ's call on all of our lives is follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That is a call to die. It is. But here's the reality. I'll let you in a little secret. We're all going to die. I don't know if you all knew that. From the looks on your faces, I don't think you did. The only question is what for? And what are you living for? The end is going to come for everybody. But at the end of that dash, between 1969, the year I was born, and whenever the Lord takes me home or comes again, what has that dash been lived for? Right? That's, what, that's, all, that's all that matters here and now because what really matters is there and then. Because that dash is going to go, and it's going to extend out forever and ever. And that end date doesn't really end. It just keeps going forever for everyone. And guys, that dash is either a line that goes on in eternity with Christ and in his glory, or it is separated from Christ in hell. Those are the only two destinations. And how we live the dash today impacts massively what happens to ourselves and to others in eternity. So with that, let's finally get to 1 Thessalonians, which is to the right of where we were, which most of the New Testament is. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and we're going to, we're, we're calling this series a ready disciple, a ready disciple, and, and today's message is a disciple is a willing follower. It kind of piggybacks off of what we talked about up at retreat. What does it mean to be a a willing follower of Christ. And so today's question is, what does it take? Like, what does it really take for us to be a willing follower of Christ? And what we're going to see in this passage, and we're going to go through chapter one, and Haley did a great job of, of reading it. We're going to look at how, what it takes to be a willing follower of Christ is first and foremost, you have to have a life that has been radically changed by the gospel. Guys, did you hear what I just said? You guys are all distracted today. I know it's been a long week, and some of you are still in post- retreat hangover um, like it was like I felt like I got hit by a truck on Monday um, and a lot of you experienced like a lot of us did spiritual attack you come off the mountain and guess what the enemy's always waiting at the bottom of the hill right and a lot of you experienced that too so hang in there with me this morning but guys I, I, cause I'm, I'm saying it this way what does it take to be a willing follower of Christ a life radically changed by the gospel not just changed by the gospel radically 
changed by the gospel. I'm not talking about praying a prayer, raising a hand. I'm not even talking about getting dunked in a horse trough. I'm talking about getting, having your life committed to wherever Christ calls you to. That's what radical looks like, right? We just said goodbye to, I get emotional again, to Kyle and Cambria who are driving across the country right now because they're going to do something radical, leave their family, leave their church family to go across the country to be prepared to go take the gospel to the nations. The second thing the passage is going to show us is that we have to so radically change for the gospel and we have to be willing to play follow the leader as we are walking a, towards a, a different, like taking a different path towards a new destination. Like, and, and guys, and I'm going to let you, so this will unfold each week. What, what we call the five chapters of First Thessalonians, and I say it that way because Paul didn't write them in chapters, every one of our chapters has a reference to, et- to eternity. That's on purpose. Because, because we, have this, we, we romanticize the early church, and that's part of why I wanted to go back to Acts. Remember, guys, if, if the people in Thessalonica were so against the gospel that they were willing to follow Paul to Berea, what do you think they were doing to the Christians that were still stuck in Thessalonica? So don't get this idea that somehow, man, Paul shared the gospel. These people all just had, like they just all came to Christ. And all of a sudden, it was just this giant love feast from then on. No. They had a hard life. You think we're persecuted. I mean, like, like what was going on to them puts what, what's happening to Christians in China to shame. It's, it's crazy. And yet... Look at what he writes to them. It's, it's just such a power. I mean, so, so they did not, the Christians, and not just Paul, the, the everyday Christian in Thessalonica did not have an easy life following Christ. But they had a life that was radically changed by the gospel. So let's look there, because I'm probably way over time. Oh, my. All right. That was my five-minute walk through Acts. Um, so, verse 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy. Silvanus is just the Roman way of saying Silas. Same dude. Remember, that, that's, that's the guy we were just talking about that went with Paul on all these journeys. So Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of Thessalonica in God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see who he's writing to? This is so important. One, two, three eyes on me. He's not writing to individual believers. He's not writing to people. He's not saying that the body of Christ, the church, is just anybody who's come to faith in Christ. He's not saying that it's a family sitting at home. That's who I'm writing to. He's not saying that it's even two or three families that have decided to do church together. That's not church. The word there for church is ecclesia. It means the gathered ones, the assembled. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has knit them together. There are only two supernatural entities in the world relationally between human beings, husband and wife and the church. The same God, the same spirit who saved you and sealed you and gifted you has also connected you to a local family of believers. I know I'm preaching to the choir. You all know people who are saying they're Christians, who are, and if you said, so where do you attend? Who are you connected to? They wouldn't have an answer. There is no place in scripture for that. No place. How do I know? Because we just read it. To the church, to the gathered people of God. That's who he's writing to. I keep going. Grace and peace to you. The only thing I'm going to say there is, man, we could use a lot more of that kind of talk in our conversation. We could, we could start our emails and our text messages and our conversations with, hey, brother, grace and peace to you, Sean. I know that sounds weird. I don't care. 
I don't care. We just need more of that. We need to flavor our speech with grace. Pick it up in verse 2. We give thanks to you always for all of you making mention of you in our prayers. So, man, he is so proud of these guys. But look at what he's proud of them for. Constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of God the Father. Do you see what he says? He's like, I am so proud of you guys. I've gotten this. I've, I've, I needed some encouragement. And my brother Timothy wrote me a letter to where I was in Corinth, and I'm writing back to you now to tell you thank you for encouraging my soul. And as your pastor, I just want to encourage you. But he doesn't say, I want to encourage you because, man, your tithing has been awesome. The giving is off the charts. Right? He didn't say that. He doesn't say, and the building you're building there, it sounds like it's just amazing. And the baptistry is so cool, it even has bubbles. He doesn't say that. What does he say? Here's what he's commending them for. Work of faith labor of love, steadfastness of hope. That's what mattered to Paul. Now get this in verse four, and this is where some of you are gonna just completely check out. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. It was, it was on the, on the um, sign as you walked in. This verse was, I didn't tell him to put it there. Whoever does those, I don't even know who does those. Is it Chloe? I don't know who does those. Whoever does those, thank you for doing those. But the chalkboard out there that's guys here's the thing this is not a this is not a message about the doctrine of election but the concept of God's chosen people is throughout scripture and it's right here and it's and it's in almost every letter what is in every letter Paul wrote his choice of you if you are his and you are sitting here it is because he chose you first guys somewhere Ephesians 1 when were we saved when did God choose you in Gordon Ephesians 1? We're not going to take the time to turn there. This is, a, this is not a message about predestination. I'm already way behind. You were predestined before the foundation of the world. And yet, what does that same writer, Paul, say in Romans 10? How do you come to faith in Christ? Everyone who confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead will be saved. So somewhere between predestined before the foundation of the world and when somebody cries out, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. Come into my life now. Somewhere between those two moments is when you got saved. If you're sitting here as a Christian. And so, is, and so it is with every person who's ever lived. Now, and, and to confuse it even more, jump down to verse 9. For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turn to God from idols. Wait a second. That sounds a little bit like they did something to follow Christ, doesn't it? But here in verse 4, it says he just chose them. It's the great mystery. Both are true. God chooses before the foundation of the world, and we have to turn from idols to God. How does all that work? I have no idea. It just is. And I praise God that his wisdom is so much higher. Oh, the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor and who has given back to him anything that was not given to him first, but from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 11. Even Paul didn't get it. He's like, I don't get it either, guys. Oh, the wisdom and knowledge of God. It's okay. Keep going. Verse 5. For our gospel did not come to you in word only. That almost sounds blasphemy, blasphemous to me. 
word only. <gasps> Don't you know how the word? This is the word of God. He's not just talking about just word. He's talking about the word. Not only did it come to you in word only, but also in power. I'm like, okay, so, so yeah, so the word of God and the Holy Spirit. No, that's not what he's talking about either. Because he says, the, he says, the word of God not only came to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Well, what? What in the world is he talking about? You know what he's talking about? He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about the, he's talking about the message that God has been sending since the garden, that I, God, will restore back all that was lost in the rebellion. He's saying the word of God that shares that story, that is that story, will be used by the Spirit, like the power of the Spirit will reveal that to people. That's the, the word only and in the Spirit, but the power is the gospel message. Guys, do you understand how important that is for us, to understand, for us to believe? The gospel doesn't just tell us how to get the power. It doesn't just describe the power. It is the power. Romans chapter one, for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the message of salvation. No, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. It is the power. Are we embracing the power? Like, are, are we saying, man, I, guys, we have to get over counting our success as being on mission with how many people we see led to Christ and pray. And we just need to, we just need to start counting success with how many people we just share the gospel with. So instead of counting salvations, which is God's job, not ours, we just need to count sharing. How often do you just boldly just say, man, you know, can I just tell you about a God in heaven who desperately wants to have a relationship with you. And I know that because he has a relationship with me and I don't deserve it. Right? How often do we do that? I'll, I'll, I'll confess, not as often as I should. Okay, so I don't know where I'm at with time or anything else, but here we go. So, so the Spirit of God. So get this. This is what Paul's saying in this whole part. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God and uses, uses it to conform the people of God into the image of the Son of God to the glory of God the Father. That's the business we're on. Let the Spirit of God take the Word of God and use it to, and use it to conform the people of God. The people, the people that you're walking, you, we don't know who's chosen. Spurgeon said that. He, he said, I don't know who's the elect and who's not, so I'm going to share Christ with everybody and let, the, and let the Lord sort it out. And he will. He will take the word that you speak to them if they're his, and he will enlighten their, the spiritual eyes of their heart. Okay, keep going. So first, to be a willing follower, we have to have a life radically changed by the gospel. The second is we have to be willing to play follow the leader. Look at the next three verses, verse 6. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation and with joy in the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all who believe, to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And the word of the Lord was sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place where your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. So here's, here's the cool part about that. This is what I mean by follow the leader. And, and this is a, a quick point. Like we're almost done with it. We're gonna have our, you're gonna have a chance to talk here in a minute just by yourselves. Is do you see how he says in verse 6, you became imitators of us, Paul and Silas. And, and, then, and then immediately he says, and you became an example. 
Because the word has gone forth from you and how you're living for Christ. You see, he's like, he's like you, you went from fought, like being a, a follower to being a leader. He was there three weeks. And a part of the problem with the church in America today is that we all think we have to get there before we can get on mission. I don't know where there is. Because you're not going to get there. Right? The Thessalonians weren't there. They couldn't have been in three weeks. They knew enough Jesus to tell other, people's about, to tell other people about Jesus. But we have so many things that get in our way. And so on your... Uh, the bulletin, on the back of the bulletin is like your note sheet, the connecting points. And then on the very back, it's got the daily readings, the prayers for our nation this particular week, and then has what we call table talk questions. So I'm going to, even though we're over time, I'm going to give you time anyway, because it's my fault, not yours. Look at what it says, your table talk question. Can others tell that you belong to God? Are those around you thankful for your spiritual growth? Since the call on our lives is to go and make disciples by saying, follow me as I follow Christ, what needs to change so that all of the above brings greater glory to the king? So here's what that means. If, if the call on us is to go and make disciples and to be able to do that by saying, hey, just come do what I do, right? What needs to change? I guess this, is not all, this may not all be like dark sins. I need to, you know, I, I, there may be that, but you may not want to talk about that at your table. That's okay. But what, like practically, what needs to change in your life so that, you're, so that we are doing a better job of just saying, hey, let's play follow the leader. Follow me as I follow Christ. I'm going to give you a couple minutes to talk about that. Go.
Does anybody just want to kind of yell out some, like, just generally, like, what are some things that tend to get in our way? Anyone? What's that? Time. Like, like, idols. Idols. Like, idols, like safety, security, what people think of us. Good. What else? What? Getting out of our own way, right? Because all that self-doubt and a, a, a schedule that's so packed, I just don't have to, even if you're feeling led by the Holy Spirit, and even if you had a moment of, of radical bravery to talk about, you like, the next thought that the enemy throws into your head is, I don't know, if you don't have time to enter into that conversation. All right, good. Guys, let me just, real quick, I'm going to ask you a question that kind of goes along with it. Is, is being in the disciple-making process optional for a disciple of Christ, according to Jesus? No, there is just like there's no place in scripture for the disconnected Christian. There's no place in scripture for the disciple of Christ. If you ask them the question, so who are you in disciple relationship with? Like, who are you discipling and being discipled by? To say nobody is, is a completely Western American thing and not in the Bible. I've shared this before. When we were in Costa Rica and we were the first time we went down there and we were just talking to some of the disciples that Mark and May Cousins had made down there. And I asked them, so do you guys disciple people? They looked at me like I had two heads. You know why? Not because they thought, oh, I'm better than you, because they had no, they had no, they had not been polluted by the laziness of American Christianity. And they had no idea that that was even an option. Their answer was, well, I'm a disciple of Christ, so of course I have disciples. Like it was just like matter of fact. Like, wow. And then I went, man, I stink. Like, seriously. And they didn't mean to make me feel that way, but that's how, the, that's how I went. And Okay, so we're going to finish it up and, and go into our time of response. With So today's question is, right, what does it take to be a willing follower of Christ, a life radically changed by the gospel, willing to play follow the leader, traveling on a different path to a new destination? So let's pick it up in our last couple of verses. And I've already read verse 9. It says, For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you... Turn to God from idols to a to a I'm sorry to serve a living and true God and to wait for the Son who is from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Guys, if there are two verses that you ought to just memorize in this chapter as we're going through it, it is verses nine and ten. I mean, there is so much beauty there that it's, guys, but, but what, part of what we have to understand is the first thing he says is you turned to God from idols. And we've talked quite a bit about this, so I won't belabor it, but we've, we make repentance all about stopping bad things. Just stop doing that. It's like slapping your kid's hand, right? That is not repentance. Repent, if, if I'm looking, if I, if I have an idol here or, I'm, or I'm, I have a sin in front of me, struggling with a lust issue, whatever it is, money, security, worry, fill it in, and, and just going, okay, I'm going to stop that. i got to stop that. That is not repentance. Repentance is turning from that to God and moving towards him. Repentance doesn't become repentance until you move towards him. It is not just saying, I'm sorry, and stopping something bad. It is turning to God and starting something better. But we have, what we have done, and, and here's part of why that matters. Because one, your repentance will not last very long. If all you do is, is try to stop the bad thing, but don't replace it with God's thing, it, the, the bad thing has too big a draw. 
and it'll suck you back, and you just you just end up okay. And, and, and how many? So those are what we call the besetting sins, right? And how, you're like, how long, oh Lord, am I going to struggle with this? And the answer is, well, how long, oh Lord, are you going to start? Is he saying, how long, oh Doug, are you going to stop moving closer to me in that area of your life and trusting me with it? So we have to get over that. But but the other reason it's important is because, especially in light of what I loved your guys' hearts to pray as we were praying for our country and praying like that we don't be the judges of, the, of those people, whoever those people are, but we just be the light to those people, is if we think of repentance as stop what's bad, then the win just becomes get the people to vote for the right thing. That's not the win. It's not the win. Right? And, and, and take, it, take it into how you parent. If, the, if, if your parenting is just, I'm going to stop the bad behavior, by punishing them, which there's a time for that as a parent. That's not the win. The win is when your child on their own does the right thing, right? The bigger picture, how does that happen to a, to a person? When the Holy Spirit turns their heart of, as Adam prayed, their heart of stone to a heart of flesh, and he gets them to do the right thing. Guys, we preach Christ this way. Clean up your act and get right with Christ. Christ says, just have a relationship with me, and I'll clean up your act. It's night and day different in how we see those people out there, right? The first call of the Christian is not behave. It is behold. Guys, we just have to show Jesus. That's what they did. Remember what we talked about? What he says they did is by their behavior, they're just overflowing gospel goodness. They were just showing people that Jesus is just better. Jesus is just better. So we need to start, we need to be known more for who we stand with and not what we stand against. That ultimately will bring us to a place where real revival will happen. So we're going to go one more place in scripture and I'm going to have the music team come up and we're going to go into our time of response with this. Because, because we need to be just renewing our mind over the next 10 days or however long it is and, and beyond with the beauty that is Jesus Christ. Because the ugliness and darkness of this world is going, I mean, it's already hard to ignore. It is going to become exponentially louder. That means the light needs to, has the opportunity to shine brighter and it mean, but it also means that, man, we've got to bathe ourselves in the beauty of the gospel. So turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews is to the right of where we are. So it's very, very, you're going to go past the, the other T's, the Timothy's. You're going to get to this big letter, Hebrews chapter 12. The writer of Hebrews, who I believe was probably Luke, who traveled with Paul the second half of Paul's life, is probably being coached by Paul as he's inspired to write chapter 12 verse 1 therefore since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us let us set aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance this race that is set before us Fixing our eyes. Here's the, here's the whole key to what Luke's trying to tell us here. 
It's not about just, oh man, I got to get in better shape. I, I, I don't like running. I don't like running. I, I can't run anymore. My knees are bad. But, but even when I could, I didn't like it. Oh, it's going to build your endurance. That's not what Paul's ta- That's not what Luke's talking about. He's saying, here's, here's how, you know how you like running, Doug? When you know the destination is Christ. Like if I'm running to Christ, I don't mind running. And I had moments like that where I felt like he was, man, right in front of me and just pulling me along. And all of a sudden, like my mile time dropped. I, it, it was crazy. That's what he's talking about here. He's saying, run with it, like lay aside the sin. Yeah, absolutely. Get rid of that. Turn to Christ. But how? By fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the, and the perfecter of our faith. That actually means the initiator, the one who started your faith. And the one who will complete it is what the Greek says. So he's saying, fix your eyes on Jesus, the one who, the one who brought you to life and the one that's going to see you through to eternity. Who for the joy set before him, despising the shame. People ridicule you for sharing Christ. People say, you know what? I don't bring that love of Jesus stuff to me. It's okay. What did we talk about, Richard? Blessed are you. Blessed are you when they persecute you for my name's sake. Because for the joy set before him, despising the shame of being hung naked on a cross in front of his mom, endured the cross so that we could follow him home. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord. I thank you for the beauty that is Jesus Christ. I thank you for the majesty of the gospel message that has been going forth for eons. stop now nothing that is happening in my life and in the life of my family in the life of your church we call Cornerstone in our neighborhood and communities in our nation is going to stop your gospel for though we walk in the flesh war fleshly the weapons of our warfare brothers and sisters are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses I don't care what the name of that fortress is his gospel is bigger I don't care what the sin and struggle is that you're fighting through right now his power is sufficient to overcome it just as we leave here today as we as we come to your table as we have fellowship as we leave here today as we walk through this week as we watch the media as we whatever it is what i just want to pray that we would have a picture of you with holes in your hands 
risen as Lord, saying, come, just come follow me. Fix your eyes on me. Just st stop looking around. Stop getting distracted. Stop fretting and worrying. Stop getting angry. Just, just look at me. Look at me. That we would fix our eyes on Jesus. And in doing so, that the things of this world would go strangely dim light of your glory and grace for the fame of your name Lord Jesus Amen Josh, can you turn my mic on? I'm going to ask um, that our leadership men and women stand really quick. Just go ahead and stand, please, and stay standing for a moment. I want everyone to look around at them, and the purpose of this is because God put on my heart very heavily that this song that the Lord has put on my heart for a couple of months now is very purposefully put in this exact place in this service. This is a song of response. And the purpose of a song of response is that you can respond in your heart, knowing what the Lord has already been putting on your heart during the message and during what you've already been a part of prayer and, and singing. So as you look around this room, you see these men and women standing, just get up and go grab them and say, Hey, I need prayer. Whether it just be because of a heart change that you had during service or that you need to have now, or the ultimate heart change of finally following Christ as your savior they would all be overjoyed to help you. his blood atoned one final breath and it was finished but not the end we could have known for the earth 
earth began to shake and the veil was torn what sacrifice was made as the heavens one of our points today was to just radically follow Jesus. The Lord gave me something this morning that I thought was for me, and I know it's for me, but I know it's for somebody else too. So here I am undignified before my Lord in an audience of one. In Matthew 17, 2,000 years ago, they had the same political corruptness and fear that we're looking at before us that's pretty shaky and alarming. But Jesus not only accomplished the political corruptness with a miracle bringing a coin out of a fish's mouth, 
But he asked a man to do it in a totally different way than he was used to. He took a man who was used to fishing for fish with a net. And he said, now, Peter, go accomplish this miracle and satisfy the political corruptness, but do it in a whole new way. Go take a pole and go fish with a fishing pole. So to us, all these years later, as we look at what we're dealing with, we need not be afraid. Our political corruptness and everything that's going on that seems really shaky in the next 10 days, God's accomplished that too. And he's only asked us to be people, to faithfully walk it out, maybe just in a new way. So be prepared to pick up your pole if you're used to picking up a net, whatever that looks like for you. And I, I say this to you, I don't know who this is for, but it's for you. speak was what nets do we need to get untangled from in order to really follow hard after him and so in light of even um, today's message and just the theme for the day of um, what does it take to be a willing follower the biggest thing honestly is just knowing he's already made a way and he's paved the road whether that road is the, the next person you're going to talk to about him, or that road is for our nation, or that road is for the rest of eternity. He's already there. We just have to own that. We just need to own that. And we need not doubt it because he died on a cross for that. that we do not want to nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness could come through just doing good things or a nation being righteous, then the cross was for nothing. And we know it was not for nothing. It was for everything. The gospel changes everything. So let's take the bread and remember a life that was lived for the glory of that story. And to redeem us back, he did the great exchange. His perfect, spotless life for our messed up one. Let's take the juice together and remember he cleans up our mess. So Lord, I thank you that you are a sovereign God. I thank you that you are a God who's in control of everything in these moments and everything in our nation. I thank you that you're the God who set the stars above us in heaven and who keeps them in their place until you're ready to be done. Lord, may we just remember that regardless of the storms. May we be a people so changed by the gospel in our own lives that we ride the waves of this world to glory. In Jesus' name. We all stand and sing with us.
thirsty, come to a well that never runs dry. Drink of the water, come and thirst no more. Come all you sinners, come find his mercy. Come to the table, he will satisfy. Taste of his goodness, find what you're looking for. is waiting there with open arms. Amen. For God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son to save us whoever believes in him will live forever. The power of hell forever defeated. Now we well, I'm walking in freedom for God so loved, God so loved the world. Praise God, praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, praise Him for the wonders of His love. His one and only Son to save. For God so loved the world that He gave us. His one and only Son to save us. Whoever believes in Him will live forever. The power of hell forever defeated. Now it is well. stop by and get more information on Operation Christmas Child, more information on the website as well, but let's all support that. Also, the Pinewood Derby, unfortunately, is postponed, and a little bit more of, um, well, not necessarily negative news, but uh, different news is on the Mexico missions trip. That's going to be postponed as well until February. We are having a night of praise and worship here from 6 to 8 on next Saturday. So be here if you have no plans. We'd love to push back the darkness through praise. And Mr. Jeff Dawkins has something he would like to bring. Hello. So Dave's coming up here right now. I also need Pastor Doug to come up here and Pastor Jeff to come up here. Uh, for those of you who are not following this, 
You can be seated, yes. That was from Pastor Doug. I would have made you stand up the whole time. Uh, October is recognized nationally as Pastor Appreciation Month, and although we in our church routinely have an opportunity, especially during the retreat we just had last weekend, to celebrate our friendship, our relationship, and our appreciation for these men, these pastors, which is a word for shepherd, that help us and guide us and are with us, we as a church body also under your care have some things for each one of you. So for Pastor Jeff, we have this card here. I'll let you open it, but it's for you and your better three quarters, Tina. There's some applause there, I'm sure. And your church body values you and we love you. And for the men and women who have been impacted by the Abneys, why don't you just give them a round of applause? I thank you, one of my personal friends, and I appreciate you. And for Pastor Doug, a thinner envelope. There you are. And there's a reason for that. Your church body loves you, appreciates you, and for the countless hours of service that you and your family give for the king, for the people in this church, and not just in this church, but for the mission of Christ, we all say thank you. So we get a round of applause for Pastor Doug. And so we love him so much. We love Pastor Doug so much, and we're excited about what he's doing, leading us and shepherding us and teaching us and his beautiful bride that we have a brand new grill in the back of a truck out there so that we can go ahead and come over to your house and you can be cooking for us more. So there you go. So that actually is outside. So if you guys were wanting to see what that looked like assembled that we all been talking about, it's in the back of a truck out there and there's a bunch of stuff with it. So now you're on the hook for that. So I just want to say again, thank you. And from your church, the church of Jesus Christ, not the church of America, not the church of Cornerstone, but the church of Jesus Christ in our little body here. We love you, men. We follow you and you're our friends. And so thank you. Thank you, guys. And we have a quick video for you from Retreat.
Amen, amen. Have a great week. Pushing back the darkness. Grace and peace to you. Hang out. <laughs>